know, as we were singing, a thought occurred to me, or not occurred to me, but it came to me. I'm like, there's nothing that, that can compare in many ways when it comes to singing to hear the church sing. You know, as we just kind of hear the church sing, hear the people who've been transformed by the one we're singing to, hear them just sing it out and sing the praises to, to the one who's rescued us. Everyone should have a note card um, tonight. If you don't have a note card, you need one. Okay, so if there's one on a chair near you, you need one. Um, and everyone if, should have a pen. Well, you, I mean, unless you, if you brought one, you should have a pen. We have pens for you. Come on, guys. Where are the pens? Come on. We have, we have pens if you need one because you're going to need to do some writing tonight. Nothing major, but um, just a few things you will need to write on this note card at some point. If you already have written on your note card just because you're like me and you can't sit still and you have to do something, you're probably going to need a different note card. Okay, so you're going to need one. So everybody needs a note card. There are pens in the back. I don't know, guys, if we can make sure people have pens. That'd be great. Luis has some pens. If you need a pen, um, we don't have enough for everybody, so just one every two people. That would be fabulous. Because here's, here's why you're going to need that note card and that pen. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to, to, um, to write down a four-letter word. No, not just any four-letter word. That'd be dangerous. Okay, but I'm going to ask you to write down a four-letter word. Um, and I'll tell you what this four-letter word is in a moment. Okay, it's okay. It'll be okay. Um, but I'm going to ask you to write down this, this four-letter word because it's a, it's a word that's pretty critical for us as the church. It, it is. It's a word that um, when it comes to, and we, we're continuing our series called Juice, and when it comes to pouring the juice, this is a word that really, as the church, um, is critical for us in pouring the juice. And, and as I said, we continue our series called Juice and, and what we've done over the past several times together is we've kind of made some comparisons or similarities, but similarities between oranges and the church or orange juice and the church. And up to this point, we've, we've discovered that the, some of the similarities are orange juice comes in a variety of forms. Okay, it expresses itself in freshly squeezed, um, low pulp, lots of pulp, no pulp, my personal favorite is the no pulp. Okay, so it comes in these kinds of forms. And also orange juice and the church, they both move. Um, and then also both have what we need. Orange juice contains vitamin C, which our bodies need. And the church also has what the world needs. And we ask the question, does the world really need the church? And the answer is yes. The world needs the church because the church has what the world needs. And so if we have what the world needs, which is a transforming gospel, which is the good news about Jesus Christ... Uh, the good news about Jesus Christ is that he, redefine, he redefines our identity, he unifies us, um, he propels us to give and to serve. It's a gospel that wins, that's unstoppable. And so if we have what the world needs, the next question is, how do we get into the world? If the world is this empty glass, how do we get the juice of the gospel into the glass? Answer, you pour it in. All right, that's what we've been talking about. So how do we pour the juice the Jesus juice, the juice of the gospel into the world's empty glass. How do we do that? Well, last time we were together, we, we discovered that we do that by, um, by preaching Christ, by opening our mouths and, and saying, hey, Jesus has changed my life. He's rescued me from sin and darkness, and, and I want to introduce you to him. Okay, so, so we preach Christ. That's, that's one way that we, um, that we pour the juice in. A second way that we pour the juice involves this four-letter word. So here we go. I want you to write on one side of your card. I want this four-letter word to take up the entire side of the card. Don't doodle on the other side because there will be more coming. Okay, I mean, you can, but it will just look messy. If you're okay with messy, that's cool. Go ahead and doodle. Um, but anyway, 
So on the one side of the card, here's what I want you to write. Here's your four-letter word tonight, okay? The first letter is O. Second letter is B. Third letter is E. And the fourth letter is Y. Okay, O-B-E-Y. What's that spell? We say it with such conviction and joy, don't we? It's funny because as I was thinking about this, obey is really kind of an uncomfortable four-letter word for many, isn't it? It, it's, a, it's very uncomfortable, but this is a word that's critical for us as the church because it's one way that we pour the juice of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus into our world. Turn with me to the book of Titus. It's near the back of the New Testament. This is where we're going to spend um, some of our time tonight, the book of Titus. Now, as you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of background on this little book. It's actually a letter. It was a letter written to Titus. So this book of the Bible has his name. It was written by the Apostle Paul to Titus in the first century. So here's what's going on. You have the church movement in the first century, and it's taken off. The church has spread from the Middle East of Jerusalem. It's spread to Europe. And here now we find the church on the island of Crete. Crete was one of the Greek islands. Okay, so here we have it. And here, here you have a group of people that have been transformed by this gospel, transformed by this good news of Jesus on the island of Crete. And Titus was discipled by the Apostle Paul. He was mentored by the Apostle Paul. He traveled with the Apostle Paul. So Paul says, hey, Titus, to help these believers out on this island of Crete, I want you to stay here and encourage them and teach them some stuff and help them understand what it looks like to pour the juice of the gospel. I'm sure he uses exact phrases. To pour the juice of the gospel into this island of Crete. Now that was not an easy task. It was not an easy task for Titus to communicate to these Christians on the island of Crete, pour the juice, tell people about Jesus. Why? If you look at chapter 1 of Titus, This is the description of the people that lived on the island of Crete. Chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, or actually verse 12. Paul's talking here, and and what's happening is you've got people that are proclaiming religious stuff, and they're doing it for selfish gain, and he says, he, he describes them in Titus chapter 1, verse 12. He says, even one of their own prophets has said, Cretans, that's what you were called if you lived on the island of Crete, a Cretan. So he says, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. You know, how would you like to be known as that? Man, I live in an island that's lazy, that's greedy, we're a bunch of liars. I love Crete. You know, I'm happy to be a Cretan. You know, I mean, this is not something you look forward to be calling, to to having um, someone call you, but this is what he's saying. You know, the people in Crete, they're liars, they're evil, they're, they're greedy, they're selfish, they're lazy, they're gluttons. And I love Paul's next statement, verse 13. He, because he's quoting, right? He's quoting one of their prophecies, like, this testimony's true. It's like that guy, he hit the nail on the head. These people are exactly what he described them as. Their testimony is true. And so imagine if you're a Jesus follower right on this island, well, filled with a bunch of liars, cheats, they steal, they're dishonest on their taxes, they lie at work, nothing like we do in our culture, right? They're all this stuff, and, 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 and they're, they're disrespectful at home, they're, they don't, they're, they're, you can't trust them, all this stuff. Imagine, how do you pour the juice of Jesus? How do you get the gospel of Jesus Christ into a culture like that? Well, that's the purpose of the, of the letter. That's why Paul writes the letter to Titus to tell them, here's how you pour the juice of the gospel in a culture that's very difficult and a hard place. And his answer is this. You pour the juice of the gospel into a culture like that by obeying Christ. O-B-E-Y, four-letter word, by obeying Christ. 
You pour the juice of the gospel. You tell people what they need. Yes, you preach Christ, because he talks about that in chapter 1, what he was doing, Paul. But you also pour the juice by obeying Christ. Look at chapter 3. I just want to read chapter 3, verses 1 through 8 for us, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. So Paul's, keep in mind, Paul's writing this letter to Titus. And he's, okay, and so Titus is to turn around and tell the church on Crete, here's what you need. Here's what, here's what you need to know. And so chapter 3, Paul writes, he says, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility toward all men. I and mean, we read that and we're like, oh, that's no big deal. But man, if you lived on the island of Crete, you'd be like, oh, you serious? I mean, that's, that's easier said than done, Paul. But that's what he's saying. He's saying, remind the people to be subject to authority, to be, to be obedient, to be peaceable, considerate, show true humility. Verse 3, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of, of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things, so that those who have trusted in God, referencing the church, may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good, to be an obedient church, he's saying. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, he, he's instructing them. So how, what we see here in chapter, chapter 3 and throughout the letter of Titus, he's, he's giving them the instructions to obey Christ, but he doesn't, doesn't just say, hey, obey. Because the next question is, why? Why should I obey Jesus? Paul gives us the foundation and the motivation for obeying Jesus. So he tells us, here's what you need to do. Here's the instruction, obey Jesus, okay? We'll talk about that a little bit. But then he, then he goes in, he, he tells us, here's the foundation and your motivation for why you should obey Jesus. And then he says, here's what you can expect if you do obey Jesus. And then here's your strength for obeying Jesus when it's really hard. When it's really hard. We're going to look at some of that stuff tonight. So what's the instruction? It's simple, to obey Christ. Chapter 3, verse 1, he says, keep on reminding. That's the, 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 ten, the tense there. It's keep on reminding the church on this island of Crete to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. Notice in chapter 2, go over there with me, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. I'm going to read some of these verses, and I want you, as I read, to be looking for the phrase to be, to do, to show. Okay, that's what you're looking for while I read chapter 2. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. So obeying Christ, that's sound doctrine, he's saying. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanders or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Go down to verse 9. He says, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them. 
and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. What's Paul doing? He's saying, listen, here's the instruction. Here's how you pour the juice of Jesus, the juice of the gospel into a world that needs him. You obey Christ. And he says, it's something that you are to be. Obedience is something that we are because of what Christ has done for us. Obedience is something we do, he says, to be, to do. And then it's something we show. And we see that's what Paul is communicating in this letter. So it's not just a passive obedience. It's an active obedience. There's a sense of being ready to obey. And Paul's instructing the church. He's saying, listen, through Titus, you, when it comes to this, how, you, how do we live? How do we show Jesus in a culture that's difficult to show Jesus? You obey Jesus. You obey Christ. And this first instruction of obedience didn't just come from Paul. It came from Jesus himself. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Keep your finger in Titus chapter 2 there, and go to Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20. I I think sometimes when we, and this is for the church, this is a familiar passage called the Great Commission is what we've labeled it. And I think sometimes what we're very good at is saying the first and second part, but a lot of times we forget the last part of what Jesus said. He says in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, he says, therefore, he's speaking to the disciples, to his followers, he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And here's the part. And teaching them to what? Obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So here Jesus is saying, hey, go make disciples. Go pour the juice. Go tell people about me. Go baptize them as, as, to show that they're following me. And teach them to obey. Would you just, just teach them to obey what I've commanded? So here Paul in his letter to Titus, he's, he's just echoing what Jesus told the church years earlier. So here's the instruction. And what's the foundation And our motivation for obeying Christ. So we understand as the church we're to obey Christ. It's how we pour the gospel into our world. We obey him. Well, what's the foundation and the motivation for obeying Christ? Look at verse, chapter 3, verse 3. So here he's saying, hey, keep on reminding them. Titus, keep on reminding the church to be obedient, to be subject to rule. Come on, keep on reminding them. But here's why. Here's why. And this is so beautiful. He says, at one time, we too, we too were foolish disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions. We lived in malice and envy, verse 4. This is so good. He says, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. What's Paul doing? He's making a contrast, all right? He's contrasting. He's saying, listen, yes, you live in a very difficult world and a very difficult culture to try to obey Jesus, but, but you're not like that anymore. Jesus has changed your heart. The love and God, the, the love and kindness of our God and Savior came to us. It says it appeared to us. How? In the person of Himself, Jesus Christ. We're not like that anymore. You're different. It's a struggle. It's hard. Yes, but here's the foundation for why you obey Jesus. The foundation for why we obey Jesus is Jesus. And what he's done for us. And that's what Paul's point is. He's saying, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously. See, because Jesus has poured himself into us, what do we do? We turn around and pour Jesus out into our world and show Jesus by obeying Jesus. 
And so the foundation for our obedience is Jesus Christ. He says, without Christ, verse 3, we were disobedient, deceived, enemies of God, under his just wrath for rejecting him, separate from God in sin. We had no relationship with God. We were broken, unable to fix it, unable to fix ourselves, without hope, headed to hell in darkness. That sounds awful. And Paul's saying, that's what you were without Jesus. And if you're here tonight without Jesus, that's your story. But it doesn't have to be the end of your story. You see, for the people, for the church on the island of Crete, they, that wasn't the end of their story. And he goes on, and, but God, in, in his grace and his mercy, came to us. And Jesus died on the cross to rescue you from your sin, to set you free, to take the wrath that you and I deserve for rejecting God. Jesus took that on the cross, and his blood was shed. And those who turned to Jesus and put their faith and belief and trust in Jesus, Jesus comes into them, washes them clean, sets them free. And Paul's saying, that's your foundation for obeying. Because without Jesus coming, why should you obey? There's no motivation. There's no foundation. It's because of Jesus and what he's done for us that we obey. But notice here too, Paul is not saying we get saved by our obedience or we're set free by our obedience. He makes that point. He says it's not by works of righteousness which we have done. Because we, we can't fix ourselves. And we try all day long. People are trying all day long to try to fix it. And they can't. Why? Because they're broken already. And righteousness, there's nothing that we can do to satisfy the standard of God. That's why he sent Jesus to us. The perfect one. To die on the cross to satisfy that standard. So Jesus took our payment on the cross for our sins. And so when we're saved, we're saved to obedience. Obeying Christ is an evidence that you've been saved, not a means to it. That's a critical point. Obeying Christ is evidence that you've been set free, not a means to being set free. And that's Paul's point. And we've got to understand that. And he says there in verse 8, he says, I want you to stress this thing, these things. Why? So that those who have trusted, past tense, in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing, present tense, what is good. So o- obedience is something that those who obey or those who have trusted Christ, the natural result of trusting Christ is what? You're going to obey Christ. He's the one that set us free. He's the one that saved us. He's the foundation and the motivation. Ephesians 2.10 says, what well, we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. But first, there's being created in Christ. And if you have Christ tonight, you've been set free. Your heart's new. And you have the power of the Holy Spirit to, to empower you to, to obey Christ. It says here, we're saved by grace to good works. Obeying Christ is a natural result. That comes from being rescued. And look what he says. He doesn't just leave us there. He says, listen, in verse 7, chapter 3, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs. That's family. We might become family with God. Having the hope. There's hope because of Jesus dying on the cross. Hope of forever life with him. In verse 13 of chapter 2, he says, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. So if you're on the island of Crete and you're part of the church on the island of Crete, you're going, how in the world do I pour the juice of the gospel, the juice of Jesus into a very difficult world? How do I do that? Paul's answer, obey Jesus. Obey Jesus, and here's why you obey Jesus. Because Jesus has set you free. He set you free. Do you realize where you would be without Jesus? You'd be like the island of Crete. That's who you, but you're not that anymore. You've been set free, and you have hope and eternal life and part of the family of God, all because of Jesus and what he's done for us. And so that's why, that's the foundation for why we obey Christ and the motivation 
But there's more than just that. A motivation for obeying Christ is that obeying Christ is loving Christ. Obeying Christ is loving Christ. What did Jesus himself say? If you love me, you'll what? You'll do what I command. You'll do what I say. Obeying Christ is a loving Christ. It's loving God. And so when you fight for obedience, you know what you're fighting for? When you're fighting for obedience to Christ, what are you fighting for? You're fighting for love. That's a totally different take on obedience than what we're used to, right? Man, if if we're fighting to obey Christ, we're fighting to obey Christ because we're fighting because we want to love Christ back for what Christ has done for us. You know, this morning, the past couple of weeks, actually, little Kate, a three-year-old daughter, Kate, um, right before work, she was coloring these pictures, and she was giving them to me and saying, Daddy, would you take these with you to work? I'm like, great, yeah, I'd love to. So I take them and, you know, put them in my car and that kind of thing. And she asked, actually, when, you know, later on that, that day, she's like, did you take the, you know, take my pictures to, to work? Yeah, of course, of course. Well, this morning, um, you know, and Aislin comes in and they, they uh, were coloring me pictures, right? And I'd just like to show you some of my kids' artwork. Um, that, that's one of them, okay, that Aislin, this, just this morning, I was just kind of crawling out of bed and, and wasn't feeling the best, and so Aislinn came in, and here, Daddy, here's a picture that, that we drew for you, okay, that's, that's awesome, I'm like, this is so great, thanks, girls, and, and then, she, then she came up again, right, about five minutes later, she came up with another picture, and, and, and this is the one that she, she gave me, right, after, after that one, this, this picture, and she, she handed it to me, I'm like, oh, Aislinn, that's so great, thank you so much for that picture, and it, it's, it's a picture of this heart, and, and so she kind of turned and walked away a little bit. She kind of took a few steps away from the bed. Then she turned around and she said, Dad, do you, do you know why we gave you those pictures? Why? Why, Aislinn? Because we love you. Because we love you. You know what obedience is? Obedience is giving pictures to Jesus. It's giving our love back to Jesus. When we obey Christ, it's like we're handing him our pictures. We're saying, thank you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for dying for us, Jesus, and setting us free. That's what obedience is. Obedience is just a simple, beautiful picture that we give back to Jesus and we say, thank you. Thank you for setting me free. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for making me part of your family. Thank you for giving me a forever home that I don't have to worry about. Thank you for setting me free free from sin and making me part of a beautiful family called the church. Obedience, obeying Christ is just a simple, beautiful picture that we give back to Jesus. That's what obedience is. And so when we fight for obedience, we're fighting for loving Christ And we obey Christ because Christ has set us free. We obey Christ because it demonstrates our gratitude and love for Christ. And we obey Christ because it demonstrates Christ's love to the world. It pours the juice. Look at chapter 2, again, of Titus 2. He says this. He says in verse um, verse 5, he's talking about um, the older older women. He's like, then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, verse 4, verse 5, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands. Why? So that, little phrase right there, you're going to see it several times. So that no one will malign the word of God. You know what Paul's saying here? He's saying, listen, when you obey Christ, when you obey Christ, it shows that Jesus works. It shows that Jesus is it. It shows that Jesus is the one. So it shows that Jesus is who people need. So that no one, he says, obey Christ. Obey, follow him. Be subject to your authority. Be, be busy at home. Be self-controlled. Love those around you. Honor your husbands. Honor your wives. Love your kids. Um, earn the trust of your boss at work. Why? So that no one can malign the gospel. So that people will see Jesus. We obey Christ because when we obey Christ, people see Jesus. Now they may not know it's Jesus in that moment, but they can't explain it. 
They can't explain it because he's saying do this because so that no one will malign the word of God. And then he goes on to talk about um, to the young men. He says similarly, verse 6, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. And 7, everything, set them an example by doing what is good, being obedient. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. Why? So that, there's that word and phrase again, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. What's Paul's point? He's trying to communicate, obey Jesus. Why? So that people will see Jesus. So they can't say anything bad about you, bad about you because you're representing Jesus to them. Now here's, here's a, here is a tough one. Verse 9. He says, teach slaves to be subject to their masters. Now in this time, there was, they were under Roman slavery. And Paul is in no way condoning slavery. You need to understand this. But he does understand that slavery was a reality in that culture. And so what he's saying is that, listen, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, and you happen to be a slave, you find yourself in that state, which would be very incredibly difficult, and, and maybe tough to say, how in the world do I show Jesus as a slave in this culture? What do I do? Here's what Paul says. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted. You know, and and most of us here are not slaves, I'm guessing, okay? Most of us aren't, but in some ways, we may feel like a slave. We may feel like a slave at home. We may feel like a slave in our marriage. We may feel like a slave at work, all right? And we may feel just so bound and wrapped up. And we we may sense that bondage in some way. And what Paul's saying, listen, how you respond to that, it's, here's, here's what happens. If you obey Christ in that, look what he says, verse 10, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. Obeying Christ shows Christ to a world that needs Christ. Obeying Christ shows Christ to a world that needs Christ. There's something attractive about obeying Jesus. And it's showing people exactly who they need. So we obey Christ because Christ has set us free. We obey Christ as an expression of our gratitude and love back to Christ. And we obey Christ because it shows the love of Christ to the world. And here's what, you can, here's what we can expect from obedience. Okay, here's what we can expect. Verse 8 again. So we've got the instruction to obey, Paul gives. We have the foundation motivation, which is Christ and the cross and what he's done for us. And here's what you can expect. You can expect opposition. He says, verse 8, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you, it's not an if, those who oppose you, there's opposition going to happen when you start obeying Christ. In the workplace, you're honoring your boss when no one else honors your boss. Man, why do you do that? Everyone, you know, there's opposition going to happen. Right? That's just a natural part of it. And you can expect that if you're obeying Christ, he says. You can expect suffering. You can expect misununderstanding. Second Timothy 3.12, Paul said this, all who desire to live godly, what? Will suffer persecution. First Peter talks about with, if you suffer as a Christian. You know, obeying Christ is not easy. It's not always the easy road, but it's the right road. It's the best road. And it's not only going to expect, should we expect opposition, but we should expect to activate faith in obedience. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. Don't, well, don't. We won't spend the time to go there, okay? But if you were to read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, By faith, what? Or without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if we're going to obey Christ, what do we really have? We have to believe that Jesus Christ's way is better. We have to believe that his way is better. That it really is. And that takes faith. 
It takes faith for us to say, okay, Jesus, this is not easy for me. Obeying you is not easy, but I believe you're better. I believe you're best. God's better is always better. Always. Always. Whether we think it is or not, it all, God's better is always better. And so we look to Jesus and we say, yes, Jesus, if you're willing to come to me and die on the cross for me and set me free, how can I not trust you? How can I not put my faith in you to obey you, even when it's hard? We had some friends of ours, some tonight, that actually went skydiving um, several weeks ago. And I got thinking about this. They showed us their video, you know, and I got thinking about it. I'm like, man, these people, there's incredible faith in that, right? I mean, intense faith in doing that. I've never done that before. I don't know if I ever will. Probably not. Okay. But if I were, I would like probably sit down with a guy that I'm strapped to because they did this tandem jumping thing, right? And it amazes me because they've never met this individual before that they're strapping themselves to ever. Complete stranger, Right. They're walking, hey, how are you? Great, I'm putting my life in your hands. You've done nothing for me, but I'm putting my life in your hands. Okay, thank you, how are you? Great, I mean, they've, all right, they strap you to this individual, I'm watching this thing, you know, and they're strapped so tight, I'd be like, and they're trusting this guy to pull the chute, right, and everything, and I mean, a complete stranger. That requires a little bit of faith. Just a, just a little. All right, and then when it comes for us to obey Christ, Okay, we've got a Jesus who went to the cross for us. We're not putting our faith in a complete stranger. We're putting our faith and trust in the one who came to us to rescue us. And so when we obey him, we're like, we're not just obeying someone. I don't know. I hope you're right, Jesus. Man, I, I don't know. I've never, you know. No, it's like, Jesus, thank you. We know you came. We know you rescued us. We know you satisfied uh, um, the justice we deserve on the cross. Thank you for making me a son and daughter of yours. Thank you for giving me forever home in heaven. We're putting complete faith in him. And so when we obey, we're putting faith in Christ to believe and say, your way is better. And we're trusting in someone that we know. We're trusting in someone who gave his life for us, who was obedient to the cross, even death on our cross. So we can expect opposition, we can expect to use faith, and we can expect that needs are going to be met. Needs are going to be met. Titus chapter 3 verse 8, he says, I want you to stress these things. Why? So that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Obeying Christ is not just profitable for the person who is a follower of Christ, but it's profitable for those on the receiving end. It is. It's always profitable. You see, for, for us as a family, one thing that we've done, we know that God desires us to care for the poor. Okay, we can't solve or meet everyone's needs, but we can meet some needs. So as a family, several years ago, we decided, you know what, we're going to support someone through World Vision, a child through World Vision, and we've been doing that for the past three or four years now, and his name was Joseph, and we give $30 a month. I'm not saying that to pat ourselves on the back, but what I'm saying, that is, we get a blessing from that because we get updates or we got updates from him. And just recently, over the summer, we got a DVD from World Vision. It was so awesome. And it just kind of surprised us because they were like, hey, you're done giving to, to, to Joseph. I'm like, okay, I didn't know that. And here's why. Because for the past three or four years, that money that we were giving went not just to Joseph, but to his whole community. And so we got to see right there, our kids got to see right there, how our little gift of a little bit of money every month helped an entire community, helped them become fully sustainable on their own, and helped them 
pour the juice of Jesus into this culture, into this world. And there's great blessing that we get for that. But the profit on the other end of that is so great too because it helps a whole community. And that's what Paul's saying. He's like, listen, listen, I know it's hard. I know it's tough. But when you obey Jesus, you can expect that needs are going to be met. Early church, Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 2, people are selling cars. Camels, they're selling houses. They're selling all kinds of stuff, right? You got a need? Here you go. Here you go. You got a need? Here you go. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, you had a whole group of churches saying, we got people in Jerusalem that need help. So they took up a big offering and they're giving all kinds of money and they're like helping all these people. One thing you can expect when you obey Christ is needs being met, cities being transformed, families being cared for and transformed, all because people understand who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for them. So you can expect opposition when you obey Christ. You can expect to have to use some faith and you can expect that God's going to take your obedience and make it profitable. You can expect that. So how do we do this in a difficult time, right? How do we do this? How do we obey Christ when it's hard to obey Christ? How do we do it? Well, Paul tells us, and we just go back to right there, chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. He talks about knowing Christ here in Titus 1. I'll just read it to us. He said, the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. See, this knowledge of the truth, and he says in verse Chapter eight, chapter three, verse eight, stress these things. What's he stressing? The reality of the gospel, that Jesus Christ come to us. He says, as you know Christ, when you keep looking to Christ, you will find the strength to obey Christ. One of the reasons why I think we struggle with obeying Christ and why is because we've stopped looking at the cross. We've stopped looking at what Jesus has done for us. I've stopped looking at the cross. Speak for myself. All right, and that's what he's saying. Listen, know this Jesus. Get to know him. This, this truth that leads us to godliness. And I want you to stress these things because as you continue to look at Jesus and what Jesus has done for you on the cross, you will find the strength to obey. Doesn't mean all your pain will go away. No. Doesn't mean your life will get better. No. But it does mean you will have strength in the difficult time of obedience. It will mean that. And so our strength through obeying Christ comes from knowing Christ. Is that not what the writer of Hebrews said? Fix your eyes on Jesus, right? Who for the joy set before him endured the cross so that you will not what, grow weary and lose heart. You say, I can't forgive that person. It's so hard. And the strength of Christ, with Christ in you, you can. You can't on your own. But with Christ in you, you can. He's our strength for obedience. And see, can you imagine waking up, those of us that have kids, can I, I, I can't imagine this, but can you imagine, I got two, two guys in here, like my kids one morning waking up and just running into my room all excited and giddy, you know, in the morning. And they're just like, Dad, Dad, guess what? I'm like, and they're all like sighing, they're smiling and everything, like, you know, kind of groggy. Waiting, what? What? This is, what? What's going on? Dad, we get to obey you today. Can you imagine that? I can't. I love my kids. Okay. Um, I love my kids, and that's putting pretty high expectation on them, okay? I would not expect that from them, okay? But can you imagine that, having that kind of an attitude where you're like, man, we get to obey mom and dad today. That'd just be, can you imagine? But for those of us that have been saved by Jesus, we've been rescued by Jesus, it's not a have-to kind of obedience. It's a get-to kind of obedience, you see, when we're looking to Jesus, we're not going, oh, man, I have to obey this Jesus. Oh, he set me free, forgave all my sins, give me a home in heaven. Oh, no, 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 no. It's a get-to kind of obedience, right? It's a get-to. Man, 
I get to obey the one who gave his all for me. That strength for obedience. He's given us all the grace we need. In 2 Corinthians, he says, my grace is abounding. And I've given you all the grace, the power, the grace you need to follow me, he says. And he's given us his Holy Spirit. There's a reason why Jesus told the the disciples, said, hey, wait for the Holy Spirit to come. Because you can't do this on your own. You're not going to be able to live this mission on your own. You've got to have the power of me inside you to be able to obey me and do what I tell you to do. So they wait, good, obedient disciples. Holy Spirit comes and look out, right? It just took off. So we've been given all the grace we need. Jesus said, and Paul's quoting, my grace is what's sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in weakness. He's given us his grace. He's given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us himself and the cross that we can look to, and that's where we find our strength in obeying Christ. That's where we find our strength. And obeying Christ. See, the world needs the church because the church has what the world needs. We have Jesus. And how we pour the gospel into our world, into a world like Crete, possibly. How do we do that? We do it by preaching Christ. And we do it by obeying Christ. And I want you to imagine. Just use your imagination. I want you to imagine that there is a church that is so into knowing Christ. And out of love for Christ... Their first response is always to obey Christ. Can you imagine a church like that? Imagine a church that's so overwhelmed what Jesus Christ has done for them that their first response is always to obey Jesus. Is it perfect? No. Was the New Testament church a perfect church? No. But they took pretty literally Jesus' commands, observe all that I've commanded you. But just imagine a church that's so into Christ and so reminded of what Christ has done that their first response is to obey Christ. Husbands, wives, students, dads, moms, kids, on the job, off the job, on the campus. People are transformed. Lives are transformed. Marriages are turned around. um, Workplaces are turned around. All because a church has grasped what Jesus has done for them. And as a response, they obey this Jesus. Imagine. Imagine that. I want you to grab your note card again. And here's what I want you to do on your note card. On the other side of your note card, I want you to write another four-letter word. And it's spelled this. L-O-V-E. So on the opposite side of your note card, you're writing L-O-V-E. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to draw on that side of the card where you have written the word love. I want you to draw a cross. Just draw a cross on that side. Because see, when you look at the obey side, as a follower of Christ, you say, I obey. Why do I obey? Flip it over. Because I love a Christ. And flip it over again. Why should I obey? Because I get to show my love to Christ. See, obedience is all about the love of Christ that we've received as the church. And it's all about demonstrating our love back to Christ and what he's done for us. Is it easy? No. No. But he's given us the strength we need to be obedient. To be obedient. So I want you to turn now to the obey side. And here's what I want you to write down and think about. What does obeying Christ look like for you tonight? What does obeying Christ look like for you tonight? Maybe as a dad, you're like, you know what? I need to ask my kids to forgive me for how I've been talking to them, how I've been treating them. Guys, we're going to go later to see the Courageous movie. That's going to be a real challenging time for us. Young men, I want to encourage young men, college students, guys to go to that. 
And maybe it's, it's for, for husbands, we need to go and seek forgiveness from our wives. Or maybe we need to go and apologize, whatever it is. Or maybe we need, we're not caring and loving, or the words coming out of our mouths are not loving and caring. For wives, maybe it's, it's you need to go and ask forgiveness from your husband for how you've been treating him and talking to him. Maybe there's a parent in your life, and, you have, and they've hurt you, and you've never sought their forgiveness. Maybe that's what obeying Christ looks like for you tonight. Maybe it's, I don't know what it is, but what does obeying Christ look like for you tonight? What, what does that look like? Maybe for you, you've come in here tonight and you're like, man, for the first time I recognize what Jesus has done for me. And my first step of obedience tonight is to give Jesus my life tonight. Maybe that's what you're going to write down on your card is I'm giving Jesus my life tonight because I know that Jesus died for me. And I'm giving my life. That's your step of obedience. But whatever it is, I want you to write it down. I'm going to ask the band to come. As, as you're thinking through, what do you write down? What is it that obeying Christ looks like for you tonight? And what we've done is, if, if you weren't here with us at um, the last gathering, I want to encourage you to pick up one of these empty juice glasses. Okay, I want you to pick up one of these empty juice glasses and, and take it home with you. And what we're encouraging you to do is put it someplace where you can see it. And as a reminder to be praying for those that need Jesus, for, be praying for your family, that God would encourage you to pour the juice. And maybe you're going to take your card tonight and you're going to put it in the juice glass. You're going to put it someplace as a reminder that, hey, I pour the juice by being obedient to Christ. Or maybe you're going to pour, put it in there just as a reminder, say, I give my life to Christ tonight. What's obeying Christ look like for you tonight? And so as we sing, you know, I want to encourage you, there's the prayer room through here. If you want to, we'll have some people over there. If you want to go seek prayer with someone, do that. If you just want to grab some people while we, while we sing tonight and pray, you can do that. But I really want us to sing tonight and just lift up our hearts tonight to, to, to this one that gave us all to us. And I want you to think through, what does obeying Christ look like for me tonight? All because of what Christ has done for us in church. It's not a have to. It's a get to. We get to. So let's stand and sing and let me pray. God, thank you for meeting with us tonight. God, thank you for sending your son Jesus to us who died on the cross for us. And thank you for this reminder tonight that we pour the juice by obeying this one who gave us all to us. And it's all because of the love of Christ in us. We love because you first loved us and we say thank you to that. And may we say give you a big thank you and draw you a picture this week through our obedience. Give you a heart picture this week, Jesus, because of all that you've done for us. And Father, thank you that you've given us the privilege of telling the world about you. And so may we obey Jesus. Lord Jesus, may we obey you. May we love you. May we have the courage to be obedient to you. Continue to move in us. Continue to stir us to obedience. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. We give you our all tonight. Thank you.